Is President Putin a danger for you? And is it, a, is it not a danger to stand up to Russia right now and to speak out as your country does? You know, we are now in a very different situation. We are members of NATO, members of European Union, and uh, definitely he's a danger, but not just to us. Uh, I would say his uh, instability and everything what they are doing lately, Russians, I mean, or Kremlin to be more precise, not Russians, they are, instead of managing crisis, they are creating crisis. And this is uh, everywhere. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Backstory. I'm Dana Lewis. America has, under President Trump, withdrawn on many fronts in terms of leadership in the world. Places like Syria and Iraq and Libya. He makes wobbly commitments to NATO based on money instead of ideology. Trump just didn't, doesn't, have a good knowledge of the dramatic loss of a superpower on the world stage. As a foreign correspondent, I spent a lifetime covering conflicts and how they can change if America speaks up. And if you're American, have no doubt about how the U.S. improves human rights and democracy in our world. Not all the time, but most of the time. We looked to the U.S. until Trump came along and measured everything in terms of dollars and America first. Belarus is an example of where if Trump condemned the brutal arrests of opposition members, things could change. Russia, Trump has refused to condemn the poisoning of Alexei Navalny. Russia's gotten more involved in conflicts. So has Turkey, now also emboldened by the withdrawal of America from the world stage. Anyway, this podcast is about who fills that void when the leader of the free world is not really leading? Well, no one does completely. But there are some countries that have stepped up and spoken out. Germany, for instance. Angela Merkel has pushed back on Russia. So has France to some degree. And here's another you probably never think about. Little Lithuania, one of the former Soviet satellites that has become fiercely independent, independent in 1990. It has a long history, dating back to the 1200s. Situated along the eastern shore of the Baltic Sea, to the southeast of Sweden and Denmark, Lithuania is bordered by Latvia to the north, Belarus to the east and south, Poland to the south, and Kaliningrad Oblast, a Russian enclave, to the southwest. Lithuania has become one of the most tenacious critics of Russia's annexation of the Crimea and meddling in Ukraine. Lithuania was the first to call for sanctions on Russia after the recent poisoning of an opposition figure there. It has taken sanctions against Belarus and its brutal leader, Alexander Lukashenko, and in fact led the EU into more sanctions, embarrassing the EU into acting. And it took in the opposition leader from Belarus and gave her and others safety and a place to speak out. Lithuania is a NATO country of only 3 million people, but it's a leader in democracy and human rights, and it exists in a dangerous area. Maybe because it's been trampled over so many times in history and has had to fight so hard for freedom, does it understand the dangers better than anyone and what happens if you don't stand up to them early? So on this backstory, we talk to Lithuania's foreign minister, about America's loss of influence and why Lithuania risks standing up to the bullies on the block. Uh, 
All right, you know, you don't always have to be the biggest brawler in the neighborhood to speak out. Sometimes mm -hmm. the smallest one can be the toughest, and it is a tough neighborhood uh, around Lithuania. I want to introduce you now to the foreign minister who has been so gracious to give us a bit of his time today. Linus Linkovicius joins us now. I believe you're in Vilnius, sir. Yes, I'm in Vilnius. Can you tell me just first of all, I've made it a practice generally of asking people how they're doing in COVID-19 in, in terms of, you know, we're in this incredible period of time. How is Lithuania faring with all of this right now? No, it's also raising, you know, second wave, first wave was managed quite well. We were proud about that, happy, but now it looks like the situation complicates. So we'll see, we'll see. It happens to be seen. <laughs> are, are you under lockdown or are, are people out? No, 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 no. I'm in my office. I'm just, everything is as usually, but uh, yes, more restrictions and we'll see something to come. Tell me, why has Lithuania been so um, outspoken? I mean, let's talk about Belarus to begin with. You know, you've taken in the opposition leaders, Svetlana Tikhonovskaya, you've led on sanctions. Um, in fact, I want to note Lithuania was way ahead of the European Union, and you criticized the EU, I believe, for acting too slowly. Well, everything is uh, right, so, but, you know, many reasons. Uh, one, one of the very simplest reasons uh, that this is very close. Now I'm sitting in my office, as I said, 30 kilometers to the border with Belarus, and the border is 650 kilometers long. So it's quite long enough, external border of, of European Union. And uh, this country is uh, quite integrated into Russia already uh, before this crisis happened. Belarus. Yeah, Belarus. Uh, and uh, we can really have a business basically with ex ex enlarged Russia. So uh, all, more, more reasons could be mentioned. Of course, we still remember our freedom fight, our own. It was not so far away. 31 years ago, we had so-called, you know, Baltic Way. If you, if you remember what that means, there was a chain of people standing from Tallinn to Vilnius, two million people standing unarmed in 1989, demanding freedom, which was still Soviet troops on, on our ground, and it was not, not clear what will happen next day. And this unarmed this resistance, it's very strong feeling, you know. So um, on one hand, you are really <laughs> not aggressive, definitely peaceful, but on the other hand, very firm and uh, cannot neglect, you know, these arguments. And something reminds us what happened in Belarus with the difference that uh, these people were treated in a completely different way. And this brutality and uh, all these intimidations they put into custody, torturing, raped even. Uh, all these accounts we were receiving were shocking, uh, to say the least. And even if small part of that is true, it's already too much. So people were not indifferent. And I'm saying people, that's not just government, you know, or officials. It's also people were not indifferent. And we also had chain of freedom uh, quite recently in, in the second part of August, uh, commemorating Molotov Ribbentrop Pact. Usually it uh, happens. And uh, that was chain from Vilnius to the border. It's about, you know, so so no, no, not too long, but nevertheless also a replica of this Baltic chain 31 years ago. And this is organized by NGOs, not government. People with the children, with the flowers, with the flags came to, to show solidarity. So this is something very strong. And so, so why we are outspoken, so why, why we are not, not just indifferent, trying to also to mobilize international attention to what is happening in our continent. Do you want to make a prediction on what happens in Belarus? How does this? How does the story end? <coughs> uh, many options, unfortunately. So the victory—it's not so obvious, you know. 
the outgoing leaders leadership still counts on the same methods they used before. These uh, methods, as I said, brutality and everything uh, will be will be used, and they believe he's jailed, that, he's jailed thousands and thousands of people now. Yeah, that's it, and they were even threats to use so to say ammunition. It was not done yet, but people are courageous enough to protest in, in spite of everything. And uh, who, who knows? Uh, maybe they count that people will be tired, scared. Uh, winter is coming, so weather conditions different, and maybe less on the streets. And they believe that they will cope with the situation as usually. What do you, what do you believe? I, I don't know what to believe. You know, it depends on many things, on the threshold of patience for the, of these people, also on very tough stance of international community, because they also counting that international community. Uh, and this opinion will be, as often happens, you know, not 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 strong. Maybe maybe it will be split. Maybe it will be some calls to be pragmatic, you know, as usually happens. And uh, they they counting to survive basically. Now try, we'll try to to save time now, looking for various options. They're talking about constitutional reforms, for instance, which is also taking time, and still enjoying the support of political sponsors from Moscow. You're also. You're you're also trying to survive there as a country. You're only three million people sandwiched between. You've got Poland and, and Russia and Belarus and Latvia is obviously a friendly country, but is President Putin a danger for you? And is it a, is it not a danger to stand up to Russia right now and to speak out as your country does? You know we are now in a very different situation. We are members of NATO, members of European Union, and. Uh, definitely, he's a danger, but not just to us. Uh, I would say his uh, instability and everything what they are doing lately, Russians, I mean, or Kremlin to be more precise, not Russians. They are, instead of managing crisis, they are creating crisis. And this is uh, everywhere. Um, could be could be South, South Caucasus, right? 20% of Georgian territories occupied, annexation of Crimea, now aggression against Donbass. Uh, Frozen conflict in Transnistria, uh, if moving from European continent, you can mention Libya, Syria, everywhere you definitely do not see any constructive approach. So instead of, as I said, managing crisis, they're creating. And through that, they're trying to influence the situation. Belarus is not exception. And uh, again, they feel the influence. And uh, I do not think that they would like to solve, but probably they would like to really manage. And uh, that's that's the case. So, but this is different. Our our situation is, as I said, we are belonging. We belong to important organizations which are protecting us. And if you would not be members of these clubs, that would be really dangerous and could be the same fate as some of our neighbors. But you have spoken out against them when they've used uh, cyber attacks on the Lithuanian government. Um, you've you've spoken out on democracy in Russia, you've spoken out on non-interference in Ukraine, non-interference in Belarus. Uh, does that not infuriate the Kremlin and, and bring pressure your way? It does, of course, definitely. They don't like it. And uh, what I believe is wrong, you know, when you are too pragmatic, you're too, too, so to say, flexible. And this is definitely a wrong perception because they expect that the uh, world will take this new normal as, as reality. They, they, they definitely violating international law, they uh, annexing, as I said, neighboring countries, and they expect that, no, people will disagree, but it will be some small price to pay, and it's possible to continue with business as usual. 
that's their expectation. So we're trying to say that this is not, not right. This is not right because we have too many lessons before, you know. I mentioned these conflicts, uh, I will not repeat, but these are lessons not learned by, by international community, but it's learned by them because it's possible to do something, to commit something, and price is quite agreeable. Why not to repeat? So this is re repeating uh, every time. And that's important wake-up call to international community. What's, what's repeating you mean is that the international community gets distracted and they they let things deteriorate and then that gives Russia, uh, I guess, more fuel to meddle uh, and to erode democracy in places. Is that what you mean? Yeah, it's exactly because if somebody says that, uh, well, let's not... No, it's also a matter of attitude when somebody's saying that you, you shouldn't provoke by your statements, you shouldn't provoke them. But I'm always saying that you're provoking by not stating something, you're sometimes provoking by not, not doing. If you're doing not enough or reacting not sufficiently, that means you're implicitly provoking them to continue. So this is a very different approach, and I don't think this shared by everyone, but it uh, also should be discussed, I believe, very seriously. So then you're disturbed by the silence of, of U.S. President Donald Trump on Russia then? I'm not discussing uh, foreign officials, so I'm in position myself, so let me let me stay where, I, where I am. But we are always, when we're talking with our friends, with the allies, we're trying to draw attention to these things, we're trying to say that this is not danger, as you ask me, is it danger to, to me personally, to, to my country? Maybe it's not uh, the case. Uh, we're talking about instability, the source of instability, and especially big players, big guys, so those who have influence in this world, they must be active and definitely this is nothing to do with aggressiveness by the way it has to be the consistency of our policy of respecting our own decisions basically and if we are retreating or changing our mind or being flexible sometimes when we need to react we cannot blame no one just just ourselves so why others should respect our decisions if we are not consistent ourselves sometimes so these are the messages we're trying to, to send to our, our friends and allies and uh, well, trying to be as, as, as clear as possible. I'm not going to press you into U.S. politics, but I will press you on your philosophy because I'm very curious about how Lithuania looks at the world right now. And I think we can all probably learn a little bit from a wake-up call in hearing you sometimes. And that is that two years ago, one of your ambassadors wrote, it's well known that the world today is in the midst of a grave crisis of democracy. The confidence we all had after the wall of the Soviet Union in the inexorable progress of democracy has been replaced by pessimism and apprehension. Do you feel that way? Are we in a crisis of democracy right now? Yes, I do. And may, may be allowed to quote Svetlana Tikhanovskaya. She's, as you said, leader of opposition, stays in Lithuania. She's newcomer. She's never been in politics. And she's new. Yeah, and she, she said herself that, look, I'm very new, I'm fresh, I'm not going to continue in this way because it's not something she expects to do in, the, in, in, in her life. But one of the messages I, I liked, you know, when, when she told once that uh, when I arrived into politics, she said, uh, I noticed there's so many organizations, so many frameworks, you know, and nothing is done, basically. So she was surprised that, and she's so true, you know, we have so many organizations, we have European Union, OSCE, we have United Nations Security Council, we have number of formats and frameworks and whatever, and nothing is done to, to, to back up these people, basically, sometimes, or, or little, okay, let's be frank, something is done, but not, not sufficient. 
So this is a glance of view from somebody coming from outside to all this strange machinery of politics. Uh, what I believe your question is quite right. Is it really, is it really democracy if we are discussing things, we're condemning things, making statements, but when we need to act or to do something more tangible, we are late, uh, too late, too little. Uh, that's exactly the case. And, and somebody uh, who doing these wrong things, they are uh, staying in charge of the situation, basically. Uh, they are controlling the situation, not us. And this is wrong. So something should be changed here. Again, I'm not saying, I'm not calling to be aggressive. I'm calling just sometimes to be consistent and tough in the messaging. Because these, uh, those uh, who are doing, uh, I mean, these wrong, wrong things, they're accepting only strong arguments. They do not accept politesse, you know, nice sayings. They, they, they make no impression for them at all. They should be tough, clear, power position, polite, but at the same time, very clear. If, if it's not clear, that's taken as a weakness and they are continuing with the, the wrong policy uh, as it was before. So let me ask you, how dangerous is it right now? And who fills the vacuum when America is as distracted as it is with its internal political situation, which is very grave and threatening even one of the great democracies of the world? Is, is it a dangerous moment, do you think, with America not exactly leading on the international stage, whether, whether you care for Republicans or Democrats, they are generally, by anybody's account, not leading on human rights and democracy right now. Who fills that vacuum? And what if, what if that vacuum is not filled? Usually when uh, we uh, politicians, uh, those who have a potentially power, influence, uh, they are not taking lead. Uh, sometimes this vacuum is filled by, by radicalism, by populism. And this has to be the case, not only in many countries, but by the way, we have some radicals in the, in the governments of some countries. It's not in Lithuania, thanks God so far, but we, we know, we, we see neo-Nazism or, or, or these radical views are coming in. And then we are surprised why it's happening, but it's happening because of lack of leadership and vacuum is never, never, never so to say empty. And this is the lesson to be seen. And now we definitely need more drive, so to say, more responsibility. New leaders, new faces, and uh, well, you're we... one of those leaders, and you're one of those faces. I mean, Lithuania You took EU sanctions against. Uh, you took sanctions on Belarus before the EU was even debating the situation, and and you called them out. I mean, you've been great leaders. Yeah, but I mean, it's not enough. You know, you told yourself, a small country, uh, we can definitely say something, state something, but we will not make big difference here. We, we can draw attention, encourage, uh, have some incentives, but this is not enough. So it should be really overarching, overwhelming approach. Same as, as I would put the one example, not to prolong the uh, story too, too much. But please, prolong. Seven ago, no, some, some seven years ago, we have uh, had presidency in the Council of European Union. That's also a big challenge for us, and we launched a lot of initiatives. We discussed a lot of issues, and among them, uh, need to fight with the fake news, right? With mm -hmm. propaganda, which we told at that time, this is important weapon and we have to react. We cannot stay silent. And that, believe me, was not understood at the beginning by majority of colleagues, by majority. This is seven years ago. Yeah, during our presidency. It was not just us, but some other colleagues also raised these issues because it was said, what kind of, what we're talking about? Uh, do we need European censorship or, or do, do, do we need European propaganda? We said, no, we, we have to draw attention to what is happening because this propaganda machine 
brainwashing machine coming from, from uh, that big country is really well organized, well equipped, financed. And we cannot uh, stay it as it is because freedom of lie is not human rights, you know, freedom. It's not freedom of media, it's something else. And we have really to take it as it is, it's a weapon. Now it's different. It was seven years ago, as I said, because everyone has no own experience. You know, usually when we are totally telling story about something what is wrong somewhere, not here, it uh, looks like science fiction. But now everybody has own experience, and now it's easier to talk about these things, and we are uh, talking. So uh, sometimes maybe we can see things uh, more sensitively, or I don't know how. That's that's as example and. And, and by the way, you're right. At that time when we were talking about these things, threats of that's a dangerous policy, we were told that you're too radical, you are too, too, so to say. And later, there wasn't even journalists, your colleagues coming and say, we, we, we didn't listen to you at that time. Tell us now, you know, you, you were right. That was really said not once uh, to me personally as well, by, by the way. So that means we should learn lessons through our own experience, probably. But so good would be to do to react before crisis coming, not not after. So good to prevent. So good to take lead and be in charge before something happening. Not after MH17. Not after Salisbury. Not after Navalny case. Or before before to to, to react a, a bit. So that's that's easy to say, but not so easy to do. Where do we go from my last question to you? Where do we go from here? Do you think? Do you hope after this? November election in America, that America is restoring itself internationally as a defender of democracy and helping smaller countries like Lithuania? Or do you feel that that moment is maybe lost for a while and that countries like Lithuania and Latvia and Estonia, and they have to band together and do this on their own with European leadership because America is just not going to carry the load as they did before? No, I never agree with this approach because I believe that we have to stay united in transatlantic area. I'm personally a strong transatlantist. I know that uh, in both political parties in the United States, be it Republicans or be it Democrats, they are really strong believers in that. And this is important not only for security or defense, it's important for other challenges of the world, be it free trade, be it climate change, name it. A lot of issues should be addressed and if it's not addressed jointly, uh, we will be weak and we will be really not strong. But potentially we, uh, transatlantic community, can be very strong players in the world. And that's that's important. So I'm always trying to object if somebody trying to talk about autonomy, about distancing, about splitting, uh, which is temptation, you know, to say, well, friendship not happened, so let's let's do something else. No, there's some, something else. It's uh, transatlantic unit is irrepra- irreplaceable and we have to understand all of us that this is so important. And this is regardless, are you small or are you big? This is important to know and important to to implement. It's great to have reminders from you about leadership and freedom of speech and how to deal with disinformation and how to deal with the bullies on the block. Uh, Even if you're not the biggest country in the neighborhood, you've shown great leadership. So Linus Linkovicius, foreign minister of Lithuania, it's a really great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, sir. Thanks. All the best. And that's our backstory on the little country that could and does speak up and stand up for freedom, Lithuania. Backstory appreciates your support. All you have to do is press the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts to get all our episodes. 
We usually have one or two weekly. And please share this podcast. I'm Dana Lewis. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you again soon.